Good morning. Uh, a couple items before we kind of kick off. Um, first of all, I want to announce that we are beginning a men's ministry here at Forest View called Exhort. And we're very excited about this. It'll be happening, the first uh, event will be happening on the 20th. Uh, and that is uh, Thursday. So the Thursday following Easter, we're going to have, try to get as many of us men together in a room, pray together, uh, hear some testimonies, get the scripture, sing together. And really one of the things that we're hoping to see come out of this is some cross-generational relationships, friendships, just getting to know each other, not just on a Sunday morning, but getting to actually get, kind of live life together. Um, if you're interested in being part of that or helping out anyway, or you want to know more about it, uh, Kevin here is uh, helping. And is Jamie here as well? I think I saw him earlier. He might be helping out with you. So, um, Jamie Sindri or Kevin McCarthy are really going to help that out. So we're really looking forward to that. Again, that's the 20th uh, Thursday. Uh, next thing is, we are in the process as a leadership team of discerning uh, who the Lord will be bringing to help join the team as a few members step off. And so we want to put it to you as the congregation. If there's anyone that you would like to see on the leadership team, would you please let us know? So we can put their name uh, and pray over them and just uh, continue to, to search who God will be adding to our team to help us lead us for the next couple years. And thirdly, uh, baptism is happening next week. It is Easter next week. I'm very excited. We have a number of names. Um, it's kind of late notice, but I just want to encourage you. If you haven't been uh, baptized, if you haven't gone under the water and come back up representing the, the death and resurrection of Christ, we want to encourage you to come speak to me. We'll make sure we can get you on the list. We'll, we'll add your name there and make sure that we uh, have you as part of the celebrations that are happening at, at Easter. All right. <laughs> Speaking of celebrations, something big happened last night. The Maple Leafs are in the playoffs. What? The Stanley Cup is coming to Toronto. Already planned the parade and everything. Can you imagine what Toronto would look like if they returned to the, the good old days of the Stanley Cup? If the Stanley Cup came to Toronto now after all these years. What would, the, what would the party be like? It would be an amazing party. It kind of reminds me, actually, the, the biggest party I've seen in the streets of Toronto was in 2002. And it was during, uh, we had lost a number of Olympic golds before that. And, and so now we're coming in and we, and we want to win the gold. And that day that I remember very clearly, it was the 24th of February, and we won the gold. And the city exploded. And the streets were filled with people. There was spontaneous parades. There was roads that were shut down. And I was actually going to church because our church we met in the evening. Uh, and we were right on uh, King Street and University. There's a big church there at St. Andrew's Subway Stop called St. Andrew's. It's a beautiful building. And we were inside there. And I remember we were in the middle of church. And it was, you're trying to, you know, sing. And you just hear the madness outside, honking horns and screaming. And, and it just felt this, it was very interesting. Uh, and, and I remember the, the big wooden doors at the back sitting there. And the worship leader, we, we sang a couple songs. And then all of a sudden, Jess says, throw open those doors. And we're like, what? And so they, they opened the big back doors. It was like the first time Church Without Walls was a real, like, I saw. <laughs> and then the music starts playing. Hey, Doctor Who. And, you know that song? Like, and, and all of a sudden, 
hundreds, I'm not kidding, hundreds of people stream from the streets into the church, and they're all chanting Doctor Who theme song, and they're dancing around, and it, it went for, I don't know how long it was, it felt like 10 minutes, just like that song continuously going, and people were pumping up, oh, it was just, it was exciting, and then I remember the music stopping, and everyone looking around like, oh, <laughs> and he's right, it is correct, you are in a church. <laughs> And some of the people were probably drank a little bit more than they did. They were partying a lot. And you can see their faces being, and he said to them, you're free to join us for worship if you want, um, but you're also free to, you know, head out and continue your, your revelry. And then people just <laughs> ran to the back. But it was this moment of celebration. Right? I've never seen a city celebrating like that. And, and to, to, at the same time, there maybe was a little bit of confusion. And that's the celebration that we're going to look at to today. It's a celebration where a city is on fire, excited, but there's some significant misunderstanding about what is going on. Begin in Matthew 21, verse 1. And as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks anything of you, say the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt the foal of a donkey. Zechariah 9.9. The disciples did and went as Jesus instructed them, they brought the donkey and the colt, and they placed their, colts, their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees, and they spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the, the whole city was stirred. And they asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Here we see the beautiful potential of the triumphal entry. The energy in the city was just buzzing. And you know what? This isn't a totally foreign concept to the people at this time. They're aware of a tradition of leaders entering to the city with this, this triumphant feel to it. In fact, there's an entire ceremony that's dedicated to this in the Roman Empire. It was called the Roman Triumph. And it would always be done after a great victory. And the general would return home and he'd have this amazing parade Notice the gold and the giant war stallions. They'd have in front of them their slaves and all the, the stuff that they got from the cities that they took. Behind them would be all their soldiers. And it was this great show of power. The triumph. Jesus, I believe, is purposely playing with this. As he enters... He purposely chooses not great war horses, his little donkey, and then the donkey's baby. 
And we're seeing in this that the people, they love him. They have expectations of salvation from him. They're hoping like, king, save us. And yet we're seeing the, the humility of Jesus versus this Roman grandeur. We're seeing the, the peace that's represented here. The small little donkey versus the, the war horse. And as that king would enter into a city, they'd make their ways to the streets, and eventually they would go to the temple of Jupiter, and they would lay down a sacrifice before him. And Jesus heads to the temple of Yahweh. And Jesus entered the temple courts, and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who were selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it into a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple. He healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear the things the children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, the Lord hath called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. The party doesn't last long. You have this king coming, this city going to the temple. And when he arrives, what he sees does not bring delight. It's kind of like a, a Stanley Cup parade turning into a riot is happening here. We see the tone of the city start to change from this point on towards Jesus. Jesus overturns the tables of the money changers. Why, why does he do that? Well, there's actually a scam that was being operated from the temple. And these days, you would come from all around. You were actually required at least once in your life, if you were a, a Jewish person, wherever you were born, you had to come back to Jerusalem and you had to come to the temple and you had to give your tithe physically by yourself. And so they had, they had people coming from all over all the time to the temple. But what's interesting, and this, remember this is before the Passover, so it's a, it's a high season. And as they came to the temple, they'd come up to the temple and they'd come in the, after all this travel, you know, tired, sweaty, oh, I came to give my tithe. And the, the priest there would say, oh, that is excellent. I'm glad that you finally made it. Uh, I hope you enjoy your stay here. Um, yet we're happy to receive your tithe. And when they try to give their money to pay for it, they say, oh, oh wait a second. And they'd be like, what, what? Don't you want my money? And they'd say, well, look, can you look at the coin there for a second? Yeah? Who's on that coin? Well, it's Caesar. This is, this is legit currency. Yeah, but like, who else is Caesar. I don't know. Well, Caesar is technically a god of the Roman people. So what you have there is a piece of blasphemy, actually. And so we can't have blasphemy entering into the temple treasury, can we? So what we'd like to ask you to do is go a little along the way here. Our friend Nicodemus will walk you nicely to the lending table there. And you can give them your good 
Roman currency, and we'll give you a temple drachma, which you can then give to the Lord, and it will be accepted at a very high exchange rate. And so Jesus comes and he sees this, and his heart is being crushed. He's just like, Jerusalem, the people who are supposed to be the light to the Gentiles, what is happening? And so he's disappointed at what's happening. At the same time, the, the leaders are becoming very disappointed in Jesus. Why is he not stopping the blasphemy of the children, calling him son of David, Hosanna, all this stuff? Why is he coming in and messing with our income? Hitting them in the pocketbook. He's starting to fight this system that is exploiting the general populace. Now we start to hear the story. He, he, he keeps going into Jerusalem in the day and leaving at night. It's an interesting habit he has. And so when he's coming back the next day, he sees this fig tree and he wants to grab some figs from it, um, but he realizes there's no figs on it and so he curses it and withers it. And they're like, what, what are, why are you doing this, Jesus? And his point is that if it doesn't bear fruit, it'll be taken away, much like what's going to happen with the Jewish temple. In fact, we saw a triumphal entry a little while ago. There's a picture there of the candelabra being carried in by the Roman soldiers. That was actually what happened. There was a sacking of Jerusalem in 71, just as Jesus predicted, and they actually carried out all of the objects from the temple, and then they had a triumph for destroying Jerusalem. And so you have Jesus talking about this through the, the imagery of the fig tree, but then he starts uh, going back into the temples and, and the, he's getting questioned. The, the Pharisees come up and say, what kind of authority do you speak from here? Where do you get this authority from? Who gave you the authority to speak here at the temple like this? And so he says, hmm, let me ask you a question. I'll, I'll answer your question. Answer mine first. John the Baptist, where did he get his authority from? Jesus is good at pulling these little reversals on them. They're like, well, if we say that it was from God, then, they'll, then we'll have proven John was right in his critique of us. If we say it's from humans, then the crowds are going to get really mad at us because they, they think he's from God. So we're not going to tell you. He's like, I'm not going to tell you either. And you can see this tension building between the groups. And then he starts telling, he starts telling parables that the Pharisees are kind of hinted at in. Oh, there's this parable of, of two sons. And one said they're not going to do what the father said, but then ended up doing it. The other one said, I'm going to do this for you, father, and then didn't do it. Which one will the father love more? Well, obviously the one who ended up doing it. Well, that's the Pharisees. I mean, that's the, the prostitutes. That's the tax collectors. They're inheriting the kingdom of heaven because they, they're doing it now. And the Pharisees, well, they're on the other side. Then he starts telling a, a story again, a parable of uh, a person who was renting out his land and that had really bad tenants. And these tenants mistreated his messengers who came to him and he killed them. Said another one, they killed them. And so finally he said, I'll send my son. They're not going to do anything about him. And they said, let's kill the son. We'll take the inheritance. This is exactly what's happening today. Jesus is explaining to the Pharisees that what they're doing is actually rejecting God's very own son. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. And as he's speaking on these things, to kind of sum up this hostility that's happening in the big city of Jerusalem, he says, Have you never read in the scriptures 
The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. When they hear this, the Pharisees knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. And so we hear Jesus declaring already, I am a rejected cornerstone. When you're trying to build your temple, your foundation, you're looking for this perfect rock and, and, and you want to make sure it's just, just perfect and you have all these expectations of your cornerstone, your, your foundations. And so this is the, the idea of the Messiah for them. They have all these expectations. They're excited. He comes in with full of expectation, hope, joy. Yes, the Messiah is here. He's going to make things right. And now they're starting to realize, yeah, they're actually not that impressed. This Messiah is not, not really doing it for me. He's not a little, not as great as I thought. This rock here, the coloring is a little off. They're unimpressed. They're not interested in, in his critiques of their power base while he's actually continually talking about their teaching, having problems. They're not happy about the fact that he's affecting their income. And very largely, they're not excited about his vision of what a Messiah is. His vision is a donkey in a coal, not a war horse. He's not going to take the Romans out. They're getting that kind of clear. They, what they want is someone who will take the power. In short, they're disappointed with Jesus. They expected something more. I think Jesus is deeply hurt in all this. He sees what's happening. You see this in Matthew 23, 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, will not see me again and tell you, say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As we finish Lent, this is the sentiment that's hovering over the big city. We've, we're making our way to the big city, and, and now we're here. We've started, we went through the, the waters. Baptism, excited about this picture of you are children of God. And then immediately into the temptation, we're dealing with the realities of life and the, how, how our spirit struggles to keep up with our faith. We've seen a renaming. We've seen healings. We've seen a new law given. Then we've seen a prediction of a cross. And now we've made our way to the big city. When I hear this story, and I've walked with Jesus this whole way, I start wondering, am I in danger of doing the triumphal entry but not making it to Easter? Am I going to get lost somewhere with the crowds for Good Friday? Am I one of those fickle crowd members who just gets a little bit disappointed with how things are working out? This faith thing didn't Sometimes I wonder if it's all it's cracked up to be. 
We sung, you're never going to let me down. Sometimes, do you ever feel that maybe God let you down? Where am, I, where am I disappointed in this? Where am I tripping over the cornerstone? Where am I rejecting the cornerstone? When I think about my disappointment, I start to realize there's a couple different places that, that can go. I, can, I, I get disappointed with myself. Not living up to my own potential sometimes, it feels to me. Maybe not understanding the kingdom like those workers and, and rejecting the stone. I used to say, like, there's so much potential for the kingdom. I saw so much excitement, and then it's like, ah, oh, why is this so hard, and why don't I see the vast harvest? Sometimes I, I, my disappointment is maybe with other people. I'm thinking, ah, oh, man, that person, like, I thought they had my back. Maybe it's your family, they, they don't come around you the same way. Maybe it's your church family, like, yeah, I really wish someone would have came in and helped me during this time. And there's God. Are you ever disappointed with God? Where you add up, you're just like, God, you know what, you didn't, this, I'm, uh, this is the one that wasn't supposed to look like. I thought it was going to look like this, and now it looks like this. And, and I, you're not doing the things that I thought a loving God would do for his children. And if I'm honest, I think every one of us is going to fall into that at some point. Just like, I started thinking about like, why, why? Why am I disappointed? Or even maybe a better way to put the question is, what's tripping me up? Why am, I, why am I tripping over this stone? Why am I scandalized by this stumbling block? And I, and I think about it, and I'm wondering, maybe I'm putting my hope in the wrong things. Like even when I hope in Jesus, am I hoping in Jesus doing this and this and this? Hoping in Jesus making this plan work that I have worked on so hard? Am I, am I really hoping in Jesus or am I hoping in this thing that I need Jesus to somehow do for me? You can even hope sometimes in God for, for a bad reason. You're hoping that he's just going to destroy the Romans, not realizing he's come to save you. The crowds of Jerusalem Am I one of them? Am I wanting him to set up this thing that I have in my heart and in my mind? They were hoping to see Jesus as like this political Messiah. He doesn't play it out, so they turn on him. And I'm going to say, we need to be careful with disappointment. It is, it is natural. It's going to happen to hurt. But when we're in that place, when I'm in that place, I have to realize, you know what? I, I can take that disappointment and it can turn into no hope, hopelessness. After 40 years with no cup, you start to become a, a jaded fan base, don't you? After 2,000 years with no parade, it's like, 
When are you coming back, Jesus? It's very easy to start saying, We're not, I'm never going to hear Doctor Who again. So I think the response that we have to this disappointment when we fall in these places is, you know, you're, you're going you're to sit with the pain and with each other and, and be there for each other so I can just magically take away that hurt. But it's to look again, and I need to look at my cornerstone and go, oh, am I building on the cornerstone here? Was that really what I was building on? Because my hope is built upon this cornerstone. If I build it on here, my real hope, then I can see the reality of the big picture. And I can work through the pains and, and the disappointments. And, and, I, and I always got to return it back because I start building on the cornerstone and then I move over here and I forget and I got to always bring it back to the cornerstone. Asking like, what are my expectations of Jesus? What is it I expect from him? And then ask myself, what is he trying to build instead? What is it you're expecting from Jesus? Is it realistic? Is it selfish? Are you a contender or a pretender? That's the question. Am I part of that crowd? What what am I doing in that crowd? You know what? You you might not have the, the cup in your hand right now, but you're in the playoffs. So I want to continue to search my heart. And when I find those times I'm disappointed with God, I'm going to ask him that he would continue to let me hope in that, that dream of his return someday. I hope in the, the fact that I, I will live forever. That someday humanity, despite all this mess that we see, despite the fact that our city goes through disappointment after disappointment, that someday humanity is going to be given, returned a full health full hope, full peace, a restoration, all the violence, the striving to try to take, it's going to be all replaced with this beautiful picture of a family come together. And so as we've been journeying here, and we sit here, we're, we're at the gates of the big city. We're looking as members of Jerusalem and, just, and, and wondering what we want for our futures. We have a few questions for you to to ask yourself. We have, again, our postcards. We have the, the strong rocks there. We can make a nice cornerstone to build upon. And we're at different places in our journey, probably, right now. And so I have a few questions. And if one of these resonates with you, I'll give you a few minutes just to sit with it. Write, a, write it out, a postcard, either you might want to write it, write it as a prayer to God, maybe writing it to a friend, maybe writing it to yourself. But when was I a time that I did see Christ as my cornerstone? Where did I see when I built upon that foundation that something really solid came from it? Or maybe you're at this other place where you're like, where am I getting tripped up on the cornerstone? Where am I tripping over my disappointment, my hurt? Then... Maybe you want to ask yourself, how can I fully embrace God as my cornerstone? Where is it that I can find in my place in my heart that I will accept the plan and the architecture that he is preparing to build through me? Take a few minutes, and we'll sing together, and then we'll receive the Lord's Supper.